welcome back. It's good to have you back on the One to One podcast with Father Dan Leary. I'm your host, Kevin Wells. Father Dan, it's good to see you. Hey, Kevin. Great to be with you. Great to be back. It's good. It's good to see you. So I, I want to forewarn the viewers and listeners. This is guerrilla podcast time. Father Dan is in the mountains right now of Guadalajara, and and we're we're, we're praying to Father Al that uh, that he lets this thing go through uh, clearly. Uh, Father Dan, it's 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 awesome. To, this is kind of the kickoff, really, today, and uh, it's the first Friday of Lent. But before we get into the grind, into the trench of your life down there in Mexico, and Father Al Schwartz, and and really Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's funny, after Ash Wednesday, I got half dozen to a dozen questions, just two I want to get out of the way. The first one is this. I was asked, who's Father Dan Leary? Like a lot of folks know you. But but so I tried to tell them. And then one guy said, wasn't he the guy who worked with the Redskins? And I was like, actually, he was. So so for you listeners, I want to let you know, uh, I'm an old sports writer. I, I, that's how I earned a living professionally as a journalist. I was a major league baseball writer in Florida. But unluckily for Father Father Dan, I don't know if you're aware of this. Unluckily for you, one of my jobs was research. So I knew that you were the Redskins chaplain for 12 years. So I decided to go do a little research on the Washington Redskins. Do you know, Father? Do you know, Father, that in your 12 years as the Redskins, you – you had compiled a record of 67 and 108, which which is remarkably horrible. So I tried to find in, in NFL annals, like who who's had the worst record as a Catholic sideline chaplain? They couldn't give me the answer, but I'm calling you. So my question is, did you leave America out of embarrassment or, or to lay it on? What, what happened? Man, Wells, I didn't think you were going to do that research. Yeah, and there were about nine coaches during those 12 years. Yeah, my my uh, my record as a Catholic chaplain was not the best, but, you know, I was a great CYO basketball player. I averaged two points <laughs> a game. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't um, – my record with the, with the team wasn't the best. Father, it is what it is. You tried your best. I used to see you every now and then on, on the sideline, Monday Night Football – and sometimes you'd have that little Redskins beanie cap on with a little with a little ball on top. I didn't know if you were the kicker or you were that like little boy who ran out in the field to pick up the tee. Uh, but but so but I saw the collar and said, "Hey, it's Father Dan. There's Father Dan." So so that answers the one question. Father Dan was the Redskins chaplain for a number of years. They were horrible, but I'm sure Father Dan prayed well. Didn't pray hard enough, but so secondly, Father, they wanted to know who are you? Where are you from? Uh, great. So I, I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, the mean streets of Bethesda, those of you that are from that area. Went to Georgetown Prep Villanova, worked for a company called Coopers and Mybrand. Big conversion 30 years ago this Lent. 30 years ago, I went to daily mass and uh, just gave up all the stuff that was really hindering me from Christ to our confession and then felt the call to the seminary. So I'm now almost 23 years ordained a priest and uh, been down here in Mexico uh, now for almost nine months. Oh, very good. So, so Father, th this leads to the last question. I, I've, been, I've been asked, why in the world did Father, who, who really was doing so much work here in America, have retreats, men's retreats, women retreats, Days of reflection, healing masses, confessions every day. You, you know, you you did a lot over here, kind of acting like Father Al Schwartz. Why did you cut the cord and say, you know what, this is great, but I'm going to leave my family, my friends, 
my parishioners, all of it, and I'm going to become a missionary priest. Why? Well, in 92, I came down here as a seminarian, and I saw the work of Father Al, and he had just died, and the sisters would talk about him, similar to my experience of Mother Teresa, the way the sisters would talk about Mother. Mother was living at that time, and I'd met Mother numerous times, and I, it just was deep in my heart that God did something amazing with this man. And so I had to cut the ties. I had to, you know, I really felt the Lord call me to come down and serve the poor, to go out into the trenches for the poor, the sick, the marginal, the neglected, the abused, and go help them find Christ, bring Christ to them, as Pope John Paul said. So that was the, that was the invitation. And with permission of my ordinary, I, I'm down here now serving the, the sisters, not only in Mexico, but the seven countries and the 15 locations throughout the world. It's really just an immensely blessed life. Father, I think you checked all the boxes of the questions that came in. There was a few, but I'm not going to uh, tie you down to them. But the, but the one question, the other question I got from somebody was, who's Father Flanagan? They said that you compared Father Al to Father Flanagan. Just, just expound on that just a little bit, and then we're going to get into the podcast. Yeah, you know, the thing about Father Flanagan, you know, he had that great work that helped the abuse, the abandoned, the, the, the tough boys, the, the boys that needed help years ago, you know. And I think that Father Al is a Father Flanagan for the American audience, but magnified. You know, Flanagan did it in the States. You know, he's an Irish guy, did great work. Father Al left the country, went to Korea and just opened up hospitals and did this amazing work as a young priest. So. When I began to read his life, his letters, I thought this guy really set the world on fire through a life of sacrifice, through a life of prayer, and really a life of just generosity. So I'm just so really humbled and grateful that I can come and serve in this manner. Father, that's, that's a great answer. And I'm going to say it. You wouldn't say it. I, I, I contend that what Father Al did not only surpassed, you know, Father Flanagan did exceptional work. I'm Irish, so I'm always going to sing his praises. But I contend, and I know this sounds somewhat blasphemous or heretical, that what Father Al managed to do and accomplished is on par, if not more so in a certain way, as Mother Teresa. And, and the thing is, and that's, and that's the question that came to me. Like my own son, Sean, said, hey, Dad, who's this Father Al? You know, is he like Jesus? Because he hears a lot of people talking about Father Al now. I just finished a biography of the book. that I just wrote a book called Priest and Beggar that's coming out in May on the life of Father Al. Like, who the heck's Father Al? Well, Father Al prayed not to be known. He didn't want to be known. That's why you guys don't know him. But I will show you this right here. Rome compiled this book right here on his life. So seriously did they consider his heroic work for Christ and with the poor that they spent years interviewing hundreds of folks about his life. He's on the path to sainthood. As Father Dan mentioned, he's from Washington, D.C., and he cut the cord to go to the worst place really in the world, Korea, after the Civil War, so he could serve the humiliated, so he could serve the orphan, the leprous, the tubercular, and say, Mary, I give you all. So, so Father Al, to answer my son Sean's question and others, he's on the path to sainthood, and I think that's what Father Dan said, I, I want to serve as Father Al did. And Father and Father Dan is, for you listeners, Father Dan is the first full-time chaplain that the Sisters of Mary have had. There's over 400 Sisters of Mary throughout the world. 
There's over 20,000 children today throughout the world in these boys' towns and girls' towns. So Father Dan is chaplain to these 20,000 children and these 400 sisters. Anyway, with that said, we laid out all the groundwork. So Father Dan, what we're going to do today um, in these 15 minutes we have left is I really want to dive in with this, this fifth uh, first Friday of Lent to Father Al and Jesus, where they both in a certain way had sort of launched themselves into deprivation, sort of a, a self-renunciation, a chosen renunciation to absorb God. In Father Al's case, Father Dan, as you know, Father Al chose when he went to Korea, he was, he, all this money was coming in from America for donations. And he said, I don't want anyone to sit, think I'm fat and lazy. I, I can't, I can't have that. And I need to sort of shave off all the comforts. So he launched himself into a shack, a mountainside shack, no plumbing, no electricity, no water. It, it smelled, there was rats in there. He, it was an awful, unsightly place. It was condemned. He said, that's what I want. So, Father Dan, that's the first thing I want to bring up here. Why would this priest who did not have to do it, and his priests mocked him for doing this, by the way. Others mocked him. His parishioners were offended in some way. Why do you think he chose to live in this shack for five years? Well, I, I think the backstory on that a little bit is he went to Korea because in speaking to other missionaries, they told him it was the poorest country in the world at that time. Secondly, um, he went into the shack because there was a religious group of sisters that needed a place to stay. And so he actually gave up his rectory and moved into the shack. And, and the shack really was like an old shed. And um, as you mentioned, no water and no heating and no electricity. And, and there really is where he encountered the poverty of Christ in a unique way. So Christ was led into the desert by, by the spirit um, to encounter that nothingness voluntarily, you could say, though led by the spirit. And Father Al went into this shack, this shed, where he too encountered Christ in, in a uniquely profound way. And so that's really, I guess you could, I guess you're driving at the question is, that's what Lent is about. It's about a voluntary mortification of going into our own deserts, our own shacks, if you will, and not going into them alone, but going into them with the confidence that the spirit has led you there and, the, and that the grace of God is, is going to pull you out. I mean, both Father Allen and, 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 and Jesus, of course, they come out at these moments profoundly on fire with this mission, Christ to preach, to heal, to, to liberate, and Father out to go out to the poor and to do really what Christ himself did as well. Very good, Father. It, so you say the fire, it acts sort of as a refining fire, these deprivations, these, these self-amputations of comforts. Um, I know it worked in, in Father Al's life. In my research, I spent many, many hours, many, many days, many months researching his life. When he left that shack, um, he went, it almost acted as this wine press crushing him into this, into this priest that had, had stripped away every comfort. And when he left, he did incomprehensible things for the poor. And, and Father, in a certain sense, I think when he left, he feared nothing. He feared nobody. He didn't fear suffering. He didn't fear attacks. 
all he wanted to do at that point was serve his his queen, the, the Virgin Mary, who he sort of consecrated his life to, and serve Jesus Christ. So he just dove in. So I think what this shack did for him is it it pushed him into sort of this giant. Is this what is this what happens during Lent? Does Lent is it supposed to act with the Holy Spirit as a wine press to, to just pour us out like almost like a the choicest libation? Well, that's yeah. I guess that's one concept. I mean, because Lent is more than just a a, a, a time of sacrifice. It's it's a time of encounter with Christ. So absolutely, I think that what you're really saying is when when Father Al went into the shack. It was an encounter with God by voluntarily. And really, it's only through those choices that we all make that really what happens is in those moments, you come out alive with hope and mission. And it doesn't matter what you're facing. Christ came out facing the world and he came in with his fire in his heart. Father Al went out into the poor and said, look, I can't save all of you, but I can save some of you. And I want to help all of you. I want to do that. And so my point would maybe be that when you go into these moments of suffering and sacrifice, you actually come out with hope. And in the culture now, really, that's what we need. We need people to go into their poverties, into the shack, into the desert, and come out knowing that Christ isn't on the other side of the shack, that he's with you in the shack because he's purifying you, as you said, for a mission, something great. So, Father, you, you identified and, and clarified so well. Why are we so reluctant to go into these shacks when we know on the other end is going to be purification in a certain sense, uh, a growing holiness within us? Well, I don't know if we know that, Kevin. I think that that's, that's something that we think that we read about, but we don't imagine it could happen to us. And so I think that's the biggest problem. The second thing is I think sometimes, folks, we, we, lack, we lack the courage to continue the fight. We've all experienced the liberating graces of Christ going into the confessional and coming out, a shack as well. We also, also have to face the reality that it's a process, that it doesn't happen one time, but it's an ongoing process of liberation. So for me, the, every shack in our lives is also a shack of grace. It's not simply a, just a sack shack of isolation and sadness. Uh, very good, Father. So I want you to practicalize this. Down in Chalco, you've been there for eight months, you've said Guadalajara's boys town, Chalco's girls town, 3,300 girls in Chalco. Just give me one example, and I know you have hundreds, and I say that word literally, of girls that maybe had, they had to expose their vulnerability, let's say, of maybe something that's happened in their past. And here they are in girls town, and they don't want to give up the ghost but they've gone into the shack knowing they've had to, to sort of advance and become holy. Give me just one example of something you've seen down in Chalco. Oh, I can do it with a boy and a girl. The girl, the girls would be basically because of the trauma that the girls have experienced generally, there's an expression that they would do, so to speak, a physical harm expression. I hate to say the word, they would often cut. And in that expression of obviously releasing the pain that was in and the pain that's occurring in there, in that part of their body is nothing compared to the pain in their hearts. So there's been a real beautiful healing process of the girl going, girls going into shacks. And I would say it's more than one and, you know, less than a couple hundred <laughs> uh, 
that the girls are being liberated. They're actually getting a sense of profound mission and uniting the wounds in their bodies, not only the self-inflicted, but let's say other ones, to Christ on the cross. The boys have a like manner of expression in anger, which a young boy, fatherless, abandoned, um, and many other experiences in life will express it in an anger, anger way, an outward expression in various manners. And this is all part and parcel with poverty and it's all just typical expressions of anger and sadness. But part of the grace that I'm seeing is the kids go into the, the suffering and they come out with hope, hope. And um, that's, the, that's what I see constantly. It's a constant experience of the shack and coming out of the hope because they've been in the shack so stinking long. And that means they've been in the shack maybe since the age of six and now they're 13, but that's a stinking lifetime. It's a lifetime um, or 17, whatever, it doesn't happen. And they come out with hope. So I'm actually seeing powerful graces. I mean, this is what Father Al saw all the time. You know, we hear hundreds of confessions uh, all the time, every week, going back and forth to Korea and the Philippines. I mean, I read his life, I'm totally inspired by him, and I don't want to be soft, I want to be courageous like him. Well, I want to lay it down. Does Father Al bring 170,000 boys and girls from 17 locations all over the world into these boys' towns and girls' towns if he doesn't go into that shack? Like anyone, like maybe me or a priest or somebody could say, I want to help the poor. I, I feel in a certain sense, I don't know about you, but after doing this research, that because he received that sanctification through these deprivations, he was able to build just a, a mountain of good. And I always think that it didn't happen until he spent those five years, you know, uh, uh, removing himself from comforts. Yeah, I would say, yes, I think that going into the shack for him was the place of detachment and the place of mission. It's sort of a paradox. Jesus is going in the desert and he's not moving anywhere, but he comes out with a mission. Father Al goes into the shack that shed and he comes out with a mission. Anytime we go into our pain, which is, it's not moving pain, it's, it's, it's stagnant. You come out with a mission. So I think that the devil says, I'm waiting for you in this desert of your pain. And if we can just go in with the grace of the Holy Spirit with courage, I mean, I would encourage all the right, the listeners to say, write down your shack, label your shack. What's the name of your shack? And then you go into it with Christ. If you are courageous and asking the grace in this intense time of prayer for the church, universal, that you come out on the back end of the Good Friday and you come blasting out on Easter Sunday. Come on out, Lazarus. Let's get, we got work to do. It, it happens. I'm telling all the kids and the girls, the guys and the girls, you know, going back and forth to Chalco and Guadalajara, come on, let's go into this first Lent together and let's come out fired up. Let's come out more than just giving up chocolates. Let's, let's do it. We got a mission. You can live different. I'm, I'm, I'm pounding it. You can be different. And they're starting to listen. You know, it's a new voice and it's, uh, but they're hearing it. Tremendous. Father, uh, you brought up um, Jesus in, in, in speaking of the shack. Why in Mark? Mark says the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. And I think it's so important 
for you to sort of explain how Father Al and Jesus, both Jesus in the desert where he was tempted and, and Father Al in the shack where priests mocked him, parishioners wondered what he was doing. His own bishop didn't visit him and it was uncomfortable in there. Um, what, just going to Jesus, why did Jesus need to go to the desert? He was God. Well, you know, there's in, in the desert, there's an encounter with our identity. You know, Christ goes into the desert and, you know, there's this encounter with this, with the, with the spirit, with, with the father. I think we go into the desert really to reject the father of lies. It's a, it's a contradiction. You go into the, the home turf of the evil one so that there God, the father's voice is more powerful in the, the deafening voice of the devil. And the deafening voice of the devil is always in the ears and in the eyes and the heart. It says, you're never going to change. And so the father's voice says, in the desert is where you will be liberated. And you will come to know your identity as a son or daughter of God. And then your identity as with having a, a heavenly father. That's the grace. Uh, very good. So, Father, you gave a walking order. I don't want the folks out there to forget your first Lenten podcast walking order. Write down your shack yeah. this first Friday. This, is, this doesn't come from me. It comes from Father Dan. And I'm going to do it after I shut down the, uh, the, the computer and, and sort of think about my own shack. Father, I want to this, this just came to me. We only have a few minutes left. But just recently, really the past few days, I've had people come to me and share intimately that they think in a very real way they're being attacked by Satan. And they've shared a few things with me. And it certainly sounds that way. What do you tell someone who tries over and over and over again to sort of um, take it to prayer or, or really see a psychologist or, or they're just, there's, there's, there's just despair has kind of entered in. What do you say to someone that at that point where the devil just keeps lingering right behind their back? Well, they first of all, they should expect it because once you start, once you make up the, the mind to be holy, the battle begins. Because until that point, you should just assume that the devil doesn't really have to engage you as profoundly as you might think. And so once you really keep you focus on this, I want to be different, I want to be holy, is when the intensifying battle takes place with the devil. The second thing is to realize that, of course, he's going to attack. That's his plan. But if you're going to pay attention to that barking dog, so to speak, and you're going to take your eyes off Christ, that's what he wants you to do. Don't get angry at the devil. That's his job. His job is to attack. Don't turn and say, get out of here, get out of here. Just focus on Christ. Tell Christ to remove the noise. Our Lady, Blessed Mother, Virgin of the Poor, to cover you with her mantle and continue the walk. But of course, he wants to be a gigantic distraction during this holy time of Lent. So I would encourage them to expect it, but to have confidence that God is loving you through that. Excellent, Father. Thanks for locking that down for us. So with that, uh, we're going to close out here. And I, I do want to uh, tell the listener what's going to happen every Friday going forward is we're going to continue to take a theme with Father Al. And like, for instance, next Friday, how Father Al in making himself a slave of Mary, he was fearless. He had consecrated, like John Paul, Pope John Paul, his life to Mary. 
and and just a staggering amount of good came out of that. So why Mary is so important was so important in Father Al's life and in her own life. And in Father Dan, I think is going to share some very beautiful stories of his own relationship with the Virgin Mary. So, uh, folks, thanks for joining us uh, next Friday. We'll see you again. And Father, before we we cut out, would you mind uh, giving us a blessing? Yeah, first listeners, thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, a great opportunity to realize that, you know, you may be going through some tough times, but at the same time, I want to remind you that there's hope. The life of Father Al really is a life that needs to be told. But unfortunately, you know, he prayed to not be known, but his voice is a voice now in the church, in the world, because it's a voice of prayer, sacrifice, and service to the poor. And so many folks are seeking this. And I want to tell the life of Father Al, because I think that he has every much a voice in the culture uh, as Mother Teresa that I worked with. And um, I think that if you knew his life, you would say, wow, this DC guy really, really did extraordinary work. So let me bless you folks and may the Lord bless you, protect you, give you peace. And may the Lord let his face shine upon you and be with you always folks, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you folks. Bye. Thank you, Father. See you next time.